Welcome to Size Eyes, the life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Fully Content series, where content is king, but its wisdom is the kingdom. Where learning is simultaneously a convergent and divergent experience. Where the threads of all the content consumed connect to form a mesmerizing web of infinite understanding. This series explores my unique insights, learnings, and connections with books, podcasts, articles, documentaries, and any other forms of content that I consume. Ultimately though, all this knowledge is only a rumor until it is in the muscle. And welcome back to another episode of Size Eyes and specifically the Fully Content series. This episode, episode I'm going to be taking a look at The Angel Philosopher, an episode on the Knowledge Project podcast with Shane Parrish. And his guest in that episode was Naval Ravikant. Um, he's an angel investor. Um, he's a deep reader, deep thinker, all of the above. And so this episode actually lasted about two hours. I listened to the podcast. I think there's a video of it as well, maybe. But I listened to the podcast on one of my drives, and it was one of the top five podcasts that I've listened to. So I wanted to share all the insights that Naval and Shane shared within that podcast, as well as how it relates to my life and the thoughts and ideas that that, that led to. So just jumping right into it, one of the things, one of the questions I believe Shane asked was his thoughts on, Naval's thoughts on the education system. And so one thing that resonated with me that I wrote down as a note was that as adults, we shouldn't really limit what children should and shouldn't read. Right? It's almost like providing a buffet and eventually, gradually, their taste will graduate to whatever they like, whatever resonates with them. And if we try to steer them in one direction too early, they may not be willing to explore, they may not know of the possibilities of what they like and what they don't like. And they, you're making the choice for them. So as parents, as teachers, as mentors, as people providing that access to books for children, I think we have to do a, a great job of understanding, sure, this may not be you know, an R-rated book, for example, you know, the equivalent of an R-rated book, if we're talking in movies terms, that may not be applicable to, you know, a little second or third grader, of course, but, you know, age-relevant material can definitely be like that. And so, any and all topics, novels, subjects, types of reading, types of writing, you know, historical fiction, autobiographies, everything and everything that should be on the table for children to read of all ages. And they'll maybe get tired of it. Maybe they get tired of something that they liked two years ago, but then they refine their tastes. And they keep reading, they keep reading, they practice, they find out what works, what doesn't. And then they continue with that iteration process. So that's something that 
that I wrote down as a note. And I think for him, he also said that he doesn't want to read every book, nor can anyone, but he wants to read the 100 greatest books for him over and over, right? And the greatest books for him would be different from the greatest books from everyone else. The Great Expectations from Charles Dickens may be an amazing novel for someone, but with someone else, it just may be a random novel. And so it's finding those books that really resonate with you. And how do you find that? You find that with what I mentioned earlier, what he mentioned earlier of it being a buffet, just allowing kids to explore, refine their taste over time. And as adults, we can fine tune that taste in books and in magazines and articles and blogs and every other content that we consume really, not just books. And that insight into what we like gives more insight into, it's almost like a tree branch where one branch goes off into more and it's an exponential process. So I, I really liked that piece of it that Naval was describing. One thing he also mentioned is, is that happiness, we kind of seek happiness. Obviously, happiness is a subject that's talked about a lot, that we seek happiness. And I think at this point, a lot of people understand that money doesn't give you happiness. All these external things don't give you happiness. That's true. And I think people realize that. All right, so then from there, but people can also search for happiness from people, from other people, in connections. And yes, there is happiness found when you're in situations, when you're accepted by other people, by family, by friends, by coworkers, etc. But really, he, he said, and I resonate with this, happiness is a single player game. The game of life, let's say, of looking at it from a materialistic perspective, is a multiplayer game. We're competing against other students, let's say, at school. We're competing against other coworkers, sometimes for jobs, or other candidates for jobs. It's almost, economy is almost seen as a zero-sum game of, if I'm not making money, someone else is making that money. It's a multiplayer game. Someone winning necessarily means that someone loses. But happiness, true happiness, is a single-player game. A result that you can't see from the outside, but it can only be seen on the inside. But then the paradox is, and the irony is, that when you are happy on the inside, everything will manifest happily on the outside. And with ease, and with synchronicity. So that's another point that he mentioned in the podcast that I really liked. Another thing was about jealousy, where you can't just, if, if people are jealous about one aspect of someone, like you, you can't just be jealous of that one aspect like oh I want this person's money I want this person's look I want this person's fame like no you don't know their full story 
If you're going to be jealous, then you have to be jealous of their entire life. Are you willing to take that step? Are you willing to say, I want every aspect of their life, from their mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health, fitness, etc., everything, and not just one aspect that you see from a public eye, or even, even if you're friends and you're jealous of them, of one aspect, there may be things that you don't know about them that if you knew, would you still be jealous of? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. So I'm gonna be t doing a better job of that. I don't think I'm too jealous, but obviously it, it creeps in from time to time, like, hey, this person is doing, you know, has more money, let's say, or this person is found, uh, you know, is in a relationship, or, you know, the, is moving up the professional they're moving their professional career along faster than mine, right? That doesn't, for me, doesn't go down a, too much of a downward spiral, but it, those initial thoughts happen, but how do we curtail them? And, you know, I guess one of the other things that he mentioned was about, like, macroeconomics and microeconomics. I realize I'm jumping from topic to topic and these are very disparate topics, but this is a two hour podcast. There were so many great ideas that I really exhort you to listen to them, to listen to the full podcast and almost take breaks. Don't listen to the full two hour podcast in one sitting because you really need time to think about it, to digest these ideas, to process them, come away with your own takeaways. But one thing he said was that macroeconomics basically ain't shit. That microeconomics are where it's at. And it's really the same with everything. It's macroeconomics, microeconomics, they're just systems, right? Obviously micro is on a smaller scale, but still, there's still systems within that microeconomic scale. And obviously when you go up levels, there are systems from the macroeconomic scale that filter down from the macro to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, until it gets to the micro and then it still distills down from there to the, few, to the next levels and so on, right? And so from a change perspective on how we want to change, let's say the world, you know, all these people, <laughs> me included, I was like, oh, this, this person wants to change the world. Like, well, before you change the world, should probably start on yourself first all right if you can't you can't change the world if you can't change yourself right how are you going to change others if you can't change yourself and then and then once you've changed yourself for the better then maybe try uh try working with someone who's willing to change accept change who's close to you like a family member or a friend or a colleague and then go on from there expand your circle to the community and then keep expanding your scope right and so that's and then once you're able to impact the micro side of things that's when you're able to apply those learnings from the micro side to the macro because really everything for me what I have understood is the macrocosm is really a microcosm and vice versa the microcosm is really the macrocosm so if you affect one you affect the other how you do anything is how you do everything.
And so if you're really intentional about waking up early, being early to a meeting, for example, if you're two minutes early to a meeting consistently, that means you'll probably be early to other engagements and commitments that you have, whether it's a meeting, whether it's another event, anything. You'll be early to that, and then maybe that extends to projects. You'll be ahead of deadlines. You'll be ahead of the scope. You'll be able to s forecast things, right? So if you're early to one thing on a very micro scale, you'll be early to other things. So I think that's one of the takeaways that I took away from there on his topic about macro and microeconomics. One of the cool things that he also mentioned was <clears throat> using, make, using decisions, decision points as leverage. Right? So there's a lot of different things that we can use as leverage in our, in our world, in our day-to-day -day basis. One of them is decisions. So as an angel investor himself, he says, you know, someone making the right decisions 80% of the time versus someone who makes the right decisions 70% of the time, they may get 100x the difference, right? These are millions of dollars. These are tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases of difference. Just with a 10% difference, you get a 100x difference or even more. So that means those decisions that you make have the most leverage. So then how does it relate to me? Every decision that I make right now, it's decisions, so those micro decisions, think of them as habits. So when I make a small habitual change, a positive change that will impact me not only now, but it will impact me for the future, right? It's not just that 1% growth in that day, but I'm using that leverage of making that decision, of making that habit change in that first day that 1% is being leveraged a week later, if I do it every day, into 7% growth, let's say, over the course of the week, and 30% growth over the course of the month if I do it consistently. So that's how you leverage that decision, that one decision that you make, the, f the first step you make, first step you take in changing your habit that first day, it's a disproportionate amount of leverage that's created that first time and then you just keep rolling off of that. And then that's how you get the 100x difference that you see as quote unquote successful people having because they've just mastered the small things, they've mastered the habits. And that's one of the other things that he mentioned about the, the, the way that you're able to be successful is, or the way that someone is a master of something is they're not, you know, full, they're not, uh, they're basically able to do something very simple, right? They're able to, I mean, one quote he said in there was, it's the mark of a charlatan to describe simple things in complex ways. It's the mark of a genius to explain complex things in simple ways. So then our goal should be to find out those complex things and explain them in simple ways. It's just being able to do the same thing over and over that gets to your mastery. I'm taking a course on, on super reading on Mind Valley, a quest right now. 
from Jim Quick. And he said, you know, speed reading is not just about speed. It's about being smooth. He said he took martial arts, and there's a quote that I love. I just keep repeating in my head every day now. He says, slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. Oof. Slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. So, we shouldn't be trying to do 100 things in a one time with little mastery. We should be looking to do the same thing with complete mastery. And being able to do it deliberately, intentionally. If you can do it slowly, then you completely mastered it. Then it doesn't really matter what speed you do it at because you've mastered that, that technique, that process, that system, whatever it is that you're tackling. And speaking of systems, one thing that he mentioned in there was finding what environments you can thrive in and build the systems around that so that you're more, more statistically likely to succeed. So what does that mean? So basically, you know, find what works for you, right? So for me, like these physical environments, for example, in the last year or so, being living alone, or not even last year, like last six months since I've lived alone, that's an environment where I thrive. Going to coffee shops, going to places where I can be by myself, but also out in public, in parks, where there are people around, but no one is bothering me. But I can people watch, or I can observe the water at a park or I can observe the people in a hotel, whatever it is, some public space, but that I'm spending time for myself. That's an environment that provides and creates energy for me. So that's an environment that I can thrive in. So, so then he says, using these systems, right? Another example of this in my life is my life operating system. And I've obviously had, I've described that in very much detail, a lot of detail. And so if we set up the systems, right, his viewpoint is in a thousand universes, he tries to be pretty successful in 999 of them compared to being the most successful in just one universe, right? It's like hitting the lottery. You're almost hedging your bets. You're doing these habits, these practices, all these daily things, these decisions that give you leverage over time, when you build them up, if we set up these systems, you're raising the floor of your success, of your happiness, of your balance. By raising the floor, in this analogy, you're increasing the number of universes that you'll be at least somewhat successful in. Right? There may be some universes where you may hit the lottery, but that's only one out of the thousand universes, if that. But if you do all these things that help you on a daily basis, you're raising that number from one to five to 100 to 200 to 300, and ultimately you should be getting to that closer and closer to that thousand number in which almost in every single universe you'll be successful. And it would only take a stroke of 
bad misfortune and bad luck to to get you away from that but as opposed to a stroke one stroke of good luck to give you one good universe out of those thousand so I haven't thought about it like that before but that's basic probability and that's what habits are the one of the other things that he was asked about was um, sorry I'm just going through my notes right now well so one thing that he mentioned at the end actually was he was asked <laughs> what's the what's the meaning to life so that was the last question that Shane Shane asked him What's the meaning of your life? So he gave three answers. So this is clearly something that he's thought about and he has an answer for, for himself. It may not be the right answer for everyone, but it's the answer that resonates most with him, answers that resonate most with him. So one, he said, to find your own purpose. Like, okay. Second one was there is no meaning. You can do whatever you want. So it's like contradictory, paradoxical, but they can coexist at the same time. And the third one was more scientific, which actually piqued my interest the most. Because I can, I agree on the surface of the first two, of finding your own purpose, and there is no meaning to life. But this last one that he said, you'll have to listen to it, and I think there's actually scientific papers written about it, was about, there's a, I, I need to do more research on it myself, but what I wrote down was, you know, there's the entropy is locally decreasing on a local scale. The energy, the, the entropy. On a global scale, it's increasing. And then there's going to be a point where everything is at the same energy across the world, across the globe. What does that point look like? What is that point of energy? And so he said he wanted to do some you wanted to write actually a blog post about this or no so he, he said he wanted to write a blog post about uh, some other topic that he mentioned previously in the podcast but then I was like wait obviously I have a blog and I've written things similar to this before uh, maybe not the entropy stuff but my 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 uh, kinetic energy potential energy a point of singularity like my clinical diagrams etc I was like okay what if I write a blog post and I think one day I can use my intuition and have that be the inspiration for me writing about the theory of everything so I want to read some more books on that I think there's a writ book written by Michio Kaku about the theory of everything so I want to buy that and read that but I think ultimately I can work towards Potentially solving the theory of everything. I sound crazy, but, you know, the line between insane and genius is a very thin line. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but I guess one of the other things that I wanted to, as a meta of this, was as a podcast host myself, I want to listen to guests on multiple podcasts 
to see which hosts enable the guests to open up more because I'm sure obviously Naval's been on a lot of podcasts and the quality of the episodes that he's been on across different podcasts have been have been varied I'm sure but I don't know that but obviously the stuff that he opened about opened up about here in this knowledge project podcast I'm willing to bet is one of the better ones compared to other podcasts and so obviously I'll have to continue listening to them but I want to take a look and listen to all those other ones that he's been a guest on as well as ones that episodes of Knowledge Project that that he's uh, Shane Parrish has had other guests on and to see what what similarities what types of questioning styles how the conversation flows what are the actual questions he asks do they feel more scripted or do they feel more flowing in the conversation right so I think by analyzing that by being obsessed about that almost like Kobe Bryant in detail right analyzing everything analyzing how the really good the great podcast hosts do it I can learn from them and take a note or two and mold that into my own podcast style when I have conversations with guests so that's what I want to do that's one of the other takeaways that I had from it so, obviously, a lot of things that come out from the Angel Philosopher episode on the Knowledge Project podcast with guest Naval Ravikant. And hopefully, you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast with Fully Content. I really, really encourage you to listen to the original episode with Naval Ravikant. So, I'll include a link in my description in the podcast to that episode on Google Podcasts and Spotify if you want to listen to that. So thank you for listening to Size Eyes in the Fully Content series. I'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.